The title of the message is Fear the Destroyer of God's Greater Promises. Fear the Destroyer of God's Greater Promises. Interesting that the group is called Rekindle the Fire. And the enemy hates a lit fire, especially in the hearts of a believer. He hates it. And there's no sure way to snuff it out by bringing fear in your life. Fear the destroyer of God's greater promises. Uh, Dennis was sharing at the beginning about how he felt that today, he felt the sense of that God is, God is showing his love towards you, that God is, a, God is your father. And that's the key verse out here. Romans chapter 8, and we'll go through a lot of scripture, but we'll do it very quickly. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 16. And I'll read that aloud. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then hairs and hairs of God and joined hairs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. We'll be glorified together. Okay. Verse 14. A chapter, and you have, we have read this verse before. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So are you a son of God? Amen. Yes, you are sons of God. For, and he says, why are you sons of God? He says, you are a son of God because you did not receive the Spirit. Look at the word. Is the S capital in the Spirit? No, it is a small spirit, right? So he's talking about what spirit? He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about your born-again human spirit. Say born-again human spirit. So when you were born again, you, your, your old spirit which was dead, remember? When you sinned, you were dead and you were created and every, your parents were dead and you were created into the world. There are dead spirits being born into this world all the time. All the time. Who was first resurrected from the dead as a spirit? Who was the first man who got resurrected from the dead as a spirit? Not Lazarus? Not Lazarus. Because Lazarus was, was, uh, was not, his spirit was not raised up. His body was. But Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. You know that verse? Jesus' spirit was the firstborn. And because he rose again in the spirit, therefore you and I can also be born again in the spirit. So you have a born again spirit. You have a born again spirit. Now he says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. He says, you lived under a spirit of bondage before. But you did not receive that spirit. You got a new spirit, a born again spirit. Correct? What was the spirit you got? You received the spirit of adoption by which to cry out, Abba, Father. Now what is this born again spirit that you have, that you've been born again? What does that spirit cry out to God? Abba, Father. Abba, Father. See, remember, before you were born again, it was very hard for you and I to cry out saying, Abba, Father. It's hard. You cannot cry out, Abba, Father. In fact, 
even as a believer right now, the moment you sin, what happens? Suddenly this great guilt comes upon you, correct? And you don't want to cry out, Abba, Father. You feel guilty. Thank God of the Holy Spirit who will stand next to you and tell your born-again spirit, say, don't worry, Dennis. He's still your father. Cry out, Abba. So, can you imagine if the Holy Spirit was not with you and you were born again, correct? You have a new born-again spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not there. So what happens is the moment you sin, and we sin all the time, many times, not as frequently as you used to be before you were born again. So what happens? Suddenly you have this great guilt feeling and you don't have the confidence to go before God. Because what do you, you say? I just sinned today morning. How can I go before this great God? How can I call him above Father? Suddenly what happens? The Holy Spirit again rises up and tells your born again spirit says, Call him Abba. Call him Abba. He is your father. You see, this is what he says. What does he say here? Romans chapter 8. What is this? The spirit, capital S. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with which spirit? Capital S or small s? Small s. So the Holy Spirit bears witness with your born again spirit that we are children of God that you are a child of God and if children what Why? what is the benefit of being a child child your hair of God that means you in- inherit everything that God has how many of you want to be hair of God I mean in today's generation parents really don't save anything much for the kids they're just surviving right there used to be a time where par- children used to look forward to their parents going off <laughs> Nowadays, children don't want to look together for their parents going off because they, they have to inherit some of their debt. <laughs> but, but the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So if you are a believer, you are supposed to leave a hair for your children. Correct? How many of you want to leave an inheritance to your children? If you are a good father, you would want to. How much more the father in heaven who wants to leave you an inheritance? Correct? But for, for this inheritance to come, he doesn't have to die. Because somebody did die. Who died? Jesus. Jesus did die. Therefore, you can receive the inheritance, but yet enjoy it with him. Therefore, he says that you will, have, you will become heirs of God. And he quickly clarifies. He says, relax. You're not the only heir. You are a joint heir with Christ. Now, are you telling me, Anil, that you are a joint inheritor of everything that God has with Jesus who was with God, the only son of God before the foundation of the world. Do you really believe it? That you have, what is joint hair? What is the closest example to a joint hair right now? It's tax filing time, right? Everybody knows joint hair during tax filing time. Because if you file your taxes separately, you owe more than when you file your taxes jointly. But when you file jointly, everything, assets of one person belongs to the other. In fact, in Texas law, even if the house is not on your wife's name, let me tell you men, <laughs> they own it. Joint heirs. The state recognizes you as joint heirs. You, can, you don't need to write anything in your wife's name. They still own part of it. Don't test the state when it comes to it. <laughs> Don't test the state. How much more has joint has with Jesus Christ? He says that Jesus has all things in heaven. 
you have all things in heaven you share it that means you have joint checking withdrawal rights say joint checking withdrawal rights so you have checking rights to everything that god has when do you need those rights when you go to heaven or now wow a lot of us are living real poor out here right not not many of you are looking like guys you all are joint heirs with jesus christ out here right why is that we talk about it there's a deception and there's a reason why you're deceived this is exactly the reason why the holy spirit is given to you you know really why you don't feel that you're joint heirs with god and jesus christ you know why you don't feel it because you want to feel it do you get it you get it you you don't feel like a joint heir with jesus christ because you want to feel the problem is with because you're reasoning to feel you're joint let me put it this way your wife doesn't have to feel that she owns the house she does she doesn't wake up every morning to say i just own this house i just feel like a owner no but there are some days she feels like a owner you when you spend that night on the couch right <laughs> she does nobody tells her she knows when it is time to claim her property correct i mean look, just give me the corner of that bed <laughs> i'll be good next time you know i'll be good but you don't need to feel but when it comes to jesus christ and what rightfully belongs to you you want to feel it I want to feel it Lord. I want to feel it. No, you don't need to. You have the Holy Spirit to remind you every day. Say you are joint heirs with Christ. Say Abba Father. I like what he said in Tamil. I can't say it. Arumiyana entagapani. Oh. Call him Abba. Call him Daddy. How many of you all really in your prayer time says Daddy? Wow, we we are so brainwashed with traditional Christianity that we are so afraid because we are still like creatures of habit. We have learned the patterns of old bondage. It's hard to put it away. You know the story about a, a eagle who was tied down with a chain. And you know this famous story. He was tied down and he kept walking and walking. It was I think it was a lion that was tied in the chain in a cage and he kept walking and walking. Years later, a, a man found the cage. and he said the lion go free but you would take two steps forward two step back two step forward two step back because the cage was gone but his cage in his mind was still there amen we live not as joint heirs but we are called to live as joint heirs but why because we do not have a spirit of bo- spirit of bondage again to fear say again to fear again to fear again to fear you are not called to fear again why because that was your lifestyle before you were born again you were constantly fearing who were you fearing who were you fearing who were you fearing okay don't forgive me if i ask you questions just just my style we just get you to talk you know who is he talking what is he talking about who is he fearing god Remember what is the holy spirit is bearing witness with your spirit, uh, spirit what is your holy spirit telling your born again new spirit he's telling do not fear god god is your father call him daddy let me repeat again he's not telling don't fear that enemy 
Holy Spirit cares too. Hopes for the enemy. He's not telling don't fear your enemies. He's not worried about your enemies. Holy Spirit knows better than that. He's telling don't fear God. Walk into his presence. Ask him what you want. Not because of what you have done, but because who you are. Man, get rid of performance-based Christianity in your life. It does not come from the born-again spirit. It comes from a system of religion that is far removed from who God is. Far removed from who God is. Far removed from God is. Do not fear God. And we will think fear means only the dread. Fear has so much connotations to it. Your whole life is limited because of a spirit of bondage again to fear. We are going back again to a spirit of fear. We are treating God as if he's still a slave master to us when he's invited us and made us partakers and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Fear is a destroyer of God's greater promises. Come in. Let's go with that. We are going to cover a lot. <laughs> we are going to cover a lot. I like all the questions, but we are going to cover a lot. Okay? That's why it's going to be a long session. Right? Because we need to understand this completely. So then as you are rightly asked, and which is exactly in the point is, who should I fear and when should I fear? Correct? Let the Bible talk about fear. Correct? Who would be the best person to teach us to fear? Because the Bible says you have not been given a spirit of bondage again to fear. So let me then find out good fear. I've learned all through my life as parents, this is good fear. This is a good fear. This is good. The fear of being killed by a car is a good fear. Or is it? We'll study that. Is, is there good fear in, in the creation of God? Is there good fear? We will study it. So let's go back and say, so who do we fear and when should we fear? Let's ask God and let God give the answer. Should we fear when there is great glory? Should we fear when there is great glory? Let's go to Matthew chapter 17 verses 6 to 7. And somebody can read that. disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Wow! Here is Jesus. The only point in his earthly ministry is that he showed off his glory that he had before the world began. It's the only time where they saw him as they could not even see him. His face shone like the sun. His clothes were transfigured. He was in all his brightness. What was the response of the disciples to this great glory? Was it good fear? There is no evil in this fear, correct? Technically. But they are fearful of the presence of Almighty God reflected in the Son of God. But was He God? Jesus was God, correct? But for a moment they saw a glimpse of the Son of God coming in His glory, correct? They saw it, correct? That mountain still exists in Israel. You can go up there. How many of you have been to Israel? Nobody? You? 
Great. Did you go to this mountain? Mount Tabor? No. No. But this is a mountain that, that exists. The Mount of Transfiguration. The glory was at the... It's a physical place. That thing happened. They saw... Jesus was in all His glory. What is the response of a disciples to great glory? What is the response of anybody to great glory? Fear. You cannot help. They fell on His face and were afraid. And what did Jesus come down and tell them? Do not be afraid. Was it a suggestion? Why would Jesus say, do not be afraid? Arise, do not be afraid. Why? We'll, we'll look at it. Why? Why? So if there was any place for you need to have good fear, isn't this the place? In the presence of Almighty God. In great glory, there is a command not to be afraid. In great victory, should we be afraid? Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. And you need to run quickly. Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. This is the angel at the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. Verse 4. Uh, verse 3. His encounters with was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like? I mean, we are talking about Roman soldiers, the top superpower army in the world. And they shook with fear at whom? No. At just an angel. We are just talking about an angel. Just an angel showed up and they were shaking in their boots. In fact, they became like dead men. And what did the angel say to the woman? Isn't this good fear? The fear? No. The angel said, do not fear. Do not fear. He started, the first verse was, do not fear. So in great victory. Now this was victory, right? There was guards out there. The woman wanted to see the body of Jesus. The guards shook with fear. There was earthquake. The stone was rolled away. The angel came. Praise God. If I fear, I will fear God in this situation. But the Bible says the first response of angel to this woman was, Do not fear. Do not fear. Let's go. So in great victory. In great joy. In great joy. Matthew chapter 28 verse 10. In verse 8. And they went to tell his disciples and behold... Jesus met them. Who? The woman. And said, Rejoice! Be happy! So they came and held him by the feet and what? And what? And what? Where is fear in this? What does Jesus say? And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Why? Because even in victory, even in great joy, Jesus, the Son of God, is sensitive to fear in His disciples. Why? Why is the angel so sensitive to fear? Why is Jesus so sensitive to fear? Why is God so sensitive for fear? Because, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, fear was not designed by God in the DNA of His children. Fear 
is the creation of the fall of man. We are just three. In great victory, in great joy. What about in great holiness? What about in the holy of holies? Should he fear God? Let's go back and check. Let's go to Luke chapter 1 verse 13. Luke chapter 1 verse 13. Now here is Zechariah, the high priest. He got his chance to burn the incense in the temple, correct? He stands up in the most holy of holies and he's burning incense and an angel stands up on the right side and is about to give him a great blessing. That is, he would have a son. This is a place of great holiness. Where is, he ha- where is it happening? In the holy of holies. What is the response of the angel? When Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. So in great holiness, if at all, if there is a place for you and I to be afraid or be fearful, isn't it in the most holy of holies? In the very presence of God? But there the angel, God, the angel tells Zechariah, Do not fear. Not created for fear. Not created for fear. Let's go back. So you don't see in great holiness. What about in great favor? What when the angel appeared before Mary and says you are highly favored? What is her? Luke chapter 1 verse 30. Luke chapter 1 verse 30. Do not be afraid. For Mary you have found favor with God. So in times of great favor, don't be afraid of God. In times of great victory, do not be afraid of God. Okay. Are you ready for more? What about when the time of great report? What about when the angels came and told the great report to the shepherds? What did they say to them? Luke chapter 2 verse 10. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not. Are we seeing a pattern out here? Say, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring good tidings. So when I bring good news, do not be afraid. When you are favored, do not be afraid. When you are victorious, do not be afraid. When you are in standing in the most holy place, do not be afraid. Okay? What about when there is a great miracle? Luke chapter 5 verse 10. Luke chapter 5 verse 10. Here was Jesus telling Peter to cast the net on one side, correct? And there was this huge catch. They have never seen a catch on the Sea of Galilee like the catch that they saw. And they were professional fishermen. Jesus showed them how to fish for a change. They had so much fish coming in. In fact, you know the whole story and we can go in a different day about how they were disobedient but obedient. Jesus told, cast the nets. They cast one net. Singular versus plural happens in a lot of cases. God wants you to have lots in some area, but you don't have the faith. You give a little and you're overwhelmed and then you're fearful of this great God who has blessed you with great things. And what is the response response to uh, of Simon Peter? Here was a good fear, technically, correct? Simon Peter saw it. He fell on Jesus' knees. Good. He said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Good. Traditional Christianity and traditional thinking will say that that's good. Correct? What was Jesus? For he 
And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that was taken. And so also was James and John and Zebedee. And Jesus said to Simon, first verse, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when there's a great miracle, don't be so impressed and marveled at me and be afraid of me. So when there's a miracle, do not be afraid of me. So, are you ready for some more? What happens when there is great terror? Okay, now I, to, I told you all the positive sides where it shows that the, in holiness, in victory, in joy, in favor, in miracles, in goodness. I've covered all categories that man can receive in the very presence of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. Still, the command was do not fear. Do not fear. What about in the negative side? Aren't we right to fear when there is terror in our lives? Isn't that normal for you and I to fear? Let's go back and check. Let's look at John chapter 6, verse 20. John chapter 6, verse 20. He said to them, it is, I do not be afraid. It is, I do not be afraid. Now this is where the, they were in a storm and they saw Jesus coming and they saw a ghost and they th all thought a ghost. And Jesus said, it is, I do not be afraid. So he's saying, if you see a ghost, do not be afraid. In this case, I, it is I. Do not be afraid. You don't have to worry. Okay, let's go to, um, what about in, when you have great threats? Acts chapter 18 verse 9. Let's go to Acts chapter 18 verse 9. And we need to go quick. So if, if anybody gets it, they can read fast. Acts chapter 18 verse 9. And somebody else can read Acts chapter 27 verse 24. Now here, here, Acts chapter 18 verse 9 and here is where Paul is facing persecution in the city. And the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in the city. That means he's saying, do not be afraid of people. Wherever you are. Don't be afraid. They cannot touch you. They cannot touch you. They cannot touch you. Acts chapter 27 verse 24. Now this is where G uh, Paul is in a shipwreck. How many of you know the G Paul's shipwreck? That was great terror. They were about to die. Correct? Yes. Acts chapter 27 verse 24. Do not be afraid Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed God has granted you all those who say with you. Correct. He says, don't worry about the shikrab. Don't worry about anything. Do not be afraid. I have planned for you to reach Rome and appear before Caesar. It has to come. I don't care how it has come. It is going to happen. Don't be afraid of shipwreck. So, so you think Paul was afraid after the, um, after uh, Jesus, the angel stood by Paul and said that do not be afraid you are going to reach Rome. But you said there is no ship. There, I am floating on a, a piece of wood. What's going on? But he, he doesn't care because he knows the angel told him, I am going to reach Rome. I am going to appear before Caesar. I don't care. I don't, I'm not going to be afraid. So in great peril, do not be afraid. Okay. And there's a, a special verse for women. First Peter chapter 3 verse 6. First Peter chapter 3 verse 6. 
obey Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. It's almost like God was telling women, it's not because they, they are more fearful, he says, just don't be afraid of anybody. Don't be afraid. What does he say? Have you, re- have you read that verse before? As Sarah obeyed Abraham, called himself Lord, whose daughters you are. Do If you do good, do not be afraid with any terror. Don't be afraid of anything. You as a woman are called not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Okay, now what happens if there is persecution? Let's look at First uh, Peter chapter 3 verse 14. And even if you if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So he's saying, even if you suffer persecution, do not be afraid of their threats. So now we see that even when there is peril, and then when there is terror, and when there is persecution, you are not called to be afraid of anything. Nothing. I don't see any place where he says, Fear. Okay. What about when Jesus comes in the new kingdom? Let's go to Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. When John sees Jesus glorified in his vision. John, uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. And when John saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. So even in his glorified body, in, in Revelation vision, Jesus say to, says to John, Do not be afraid. Finally, a verse that you and I know. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, verse 5. He says, I will show you who you need to fear. Now we know somebody, someone, one of somebody must be thinking about that verse. Okay, let's read that verse. Luke chapter twelve, verse, verse five, and he says, verse four. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that has no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. If at all we have to fear someone, if at all we have to fear someone, Jesus says, you should fear whom? You should fear? (laughs) Looks like God, right? Here it says that you should fear the one who has the power to kill you, And to cast you into hell. Does Satan have the power to cast you into hell? No. No. Because he himself is going into hell. A lot of people think that Satan has a party in hell. No, 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 no. no. There's no party in hell. He himself is a prisoner. Correct? He himself is a prisoner. But God has the power to kill you and cast you into hell. Let me ask you a question. Should you fear this God then? Yes. Why? 
you need to follow me the word. If we don't do according to his will, then we will end up there. In that kind of phase we have to fear. Correct. So you're saying that he says you should fear as Jesus says. No, Jesus, I'm not changing Jesus' word. Jesus says you should fear him who has the power to kill you and to cast you into hell. Okay. Does God want that kind of fear from you and me? Is the question. No. Who, which of you having a child wants a son who is only afraid of you and serves you because of fear? Which of you? Don't, don't, daddy, don't, 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 I will do what you say. I say, man, what's, what's up with you? Relax, chill, don't. No, daddy, daddy, I'll eat the food, I'll eat the food. Man, it'll be weird, a household where the children go around at every place is afraid that daddy will throw them into hell. What kind of life does, who, who is at more pain in this relationship? The son or the father? The father. You know, he will be calling all the psychologists in the world, setting up appointments with your Cigna and Blue Cross Blue Shield, trying to find out, what's up with my son? Because he doesn't want a relationship that is born out of fear. Then who, who is supposed to fear this great God? Precisely the ones who are not sons of God. The ones who should fear Him. The ones who can be destroyed and sent into hell. Not you and I. Because why? The Holy Spirit is saying every day, morning and evening, saying what? You are a son of God. Man, leave it to you. You will kill yourself. Ask Judas. You don't need any external enemy to destroy you. The very guilt... Of that you have on yourself is enough to destroy you. God doesn't have to do anything more to destroy you. All he has to do is let you do what you want. And that's a path to destruction. Because man, if let loose, will eventually kill himself. It's a fact. It's a truth. Man, if he's let, let himself, he will eventually destroy himself. Because like Cain said, my punishment, my iniquity, that's the word, the New King James Version translates this as punishment, but it was not punishment. God was not punishing him. But he says, my iniquity is too great to bear. I cannot, I, I don't know what to do with this iniquity. Your iniquity will find a way out and kill you. That's why Jesus says, I did not come into the world to destroy the world. You are already condemned. <laughs> it's like, I, don't, I don't need to condemn. So you don't, when you go and tell your friends about the gospel, don't tell them that God hates you. They already know that. They already know that. Tell them God loves you. They already are condemned. They already are condemned. God, the response to great glory is fear. The response to such, such relationship that is built about fear is not the relationship that God wants you to have. And if, if you're taking notes, write this down. The automatic response to great glory and power is fear. Yet, this is not what God desires. Let me repeat. I want you to get into your spirit. Your automatic response to great glory and great power and great miracles is fear. 
Yet that is not what God wants in you. Now you see the distinction between the way of Jesus Christ and the way of all the other religions. Allah, you have to submit to him in fear. All other gods live on a relationship based on fear. But Jesus and the God of Israel does not want to have that relationship with you. But how about the verse from Proverbs We'll talk about it. We'll cover that. So the first one, we, first we need to understand that your automatic response to great glory is normal tendency of man is to fear. And the Bible says that that is not what God desires. Okay? Fear is the corruption of your first response. And we'll cover that. You'll cover that. I'll come to it exactly. Fear is your corruption of your first response. Your first response when you were created was to have fellowship with God. Let's go back and see Genesis. How many of you are ready to go back to Genesis? Genesis. Okay, uh, let me address that question right away. The fear that the Bible talks about, the word fear, is translated two ways. One is the dread of God, is what God doesn't want you to have. The awe of God is what God wants you to have. But the, new, the English translation of fear of the root word dread and awe is the same. So the fear of God in the Proverbs is, means the awe of God, not the dread of God. So the word should be the dread of God is not what God wants you to have. The awe of God is what you need to have. So the Bible constantly says, do not be afraid of me. Do not dread me. And, but man, so when you are talking about fear, we are talking about the, the dread of God. He doesn't want a relationship built on dread. And much of your relationship that you and I have as a believer is built upon, if I don't do this, I will not. You know, that is a transactional system that does not work in this new covenant. In fact, I don't know whether you can take this. When God told you to make an altar, he said, do not even use a tool on your altar. That means, I do not want you to as much as even work. I mean, Lord, are you robbing me of the privilege to even bring some works of me into this worship? No! God doesn't want your works. He doesn't want any tools to be used. Just bring the stones that are before you, collect it, gather it and worship me. Lest you will claim for God, Lord, I made a beautiful altar for you. God knows a heart of man is so deceitful. For if he, in as much as gives him even a little leeway to boast, he will boast and be destroyed. In fact, the Bible says, do not make stairways on your altar. Because it will expose your nakedness. If your altar has tears, you are working too much. The Bible says you should not even be performing a work in as much as to walk up your altar. You should not even be working as much. If you walk up on stairs onto an altar, you have worked too much. You have robbed God of that much glory. And he is a great competitor for glory. And he will not share it with none, not even with you. But the fear is good, right? Again, we are talking about 
the awe of God versus the dread of God. No, I'm trying to understand. Awe means reverence. Reverence, reverence of God, not the dread of God, okay. not the dread. But God wants a relationship built on love, because He doesn't want He doesn't want man to come up and say, "I did this, I did this, I did this." No, He doesn't want that. He says, "I don't want your stairs. I don't want you to walk up to me. Just stand there and worship me. Just worship me as you are." Because the price is fully paid by Jesus Christ, you see, and He wants you to come before Him in faith. That's why He said there is a guy who came into the presence of God with a garment of uh, garment. It is a good garment. It is clean garments. But the king's response to that man who came into the, uh, the marriage was so disproportional to the crime. What was the crime? What was the uh, punishment of the man who walked into the marriage uh, uh, ceremony? Had to cast him into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, all because of a fashion accident. Is he talking about clothes out here, or is he talking about works? He said, "Don't come with your garments into my presence. Come with Jesus and His garments. Don't come with your garments because they stink." Righteousness is It stinks. Oh, if only God could open our eyes. To how stinking garments we come before His presence. He doesn't want your works, ladies and gentlemen. Let your eyes be open today. Why? Because it takes more humility to say, Lord, Lord, I don't have anything. I'm coming who You are. You know, that that's why Jesus said the Pharisees said, I do not come for those who are uh, healed well. I came for those who are sick. Why? Who was well? Who is well? Everybody is sick, but there are few. Who would not recognize that they are sick? And he said, I didn't come for them. I didn't come to condemn them. They are themselves condemned. So if your altar has tears, you're working too much. It's working too much. Don't work. Means come into the presence of God with the works of Jesus Christ as complete. Why? Then you have confidence with joint hair with Jesus Christ. You receive everything that Jesus has because of who you are, not because of what you did. Because you are the son of God. If only I can get this thing out in your soul, in your spirit today is God loves you. And fear is a corruption of your first response. What is the first response? Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. What's the origin of fear? The word fear appears for the first time in the Bible, not... Only after Adam and Eve sinned. Origin of fear. Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. And this is Adam replying to God. Then God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I... I heard your voice in the garden. Okay. I was afraid because I was naked. And? And I hid myself. Correct. The first place where the mention fear is mentioned is out here. The first place. And let's break it down. Are you all ready to break down? Okay. Let's go through it. And the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice. I want you to note this word. Okay. Who is saying this? God. No. Adam. Adam. Who? Which Adam? The pre, no, the pre-sin Adam or the post-sin Adam? Post-sin. Say post-sin Adam. Post-sin. 
What is Postin Adam saying? I heard your voice. So is a sinful man hearing God's voice? Wow. So he's still hearing God's voice. Amen? Amen. Okay. And I was no afraid. Okay. Why? Because I was naked. Was he naked before? Is he naked now? Okay. And then what did he do? And I? Okay. He hid himself from what? Where does it say that? Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the breeze of the day. The word cool is not, not necessarily the right translation. It is the breeze of the day. There's a deep meaning in that. It's talking about the Spirit of God in the garden, the breeze of the day. And, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Poor choice. <laughs> Poor choice to hide. But the point being is they are hiding from whom? They are afraid of whom? God. Are they afraid of the serpent? Who are they afraid of? The God, God Himself. The presence of God. Let me ask you a question. Was the presence of God before there for them before? Yes. Was the presence of God there for them now? Yes. So, Anil, what has changed in a sinful man? They could hear the vo vo voice of God. They, could, they are still in the presence of God. And... They are still naked and complete. What's changed? What's changed is what they feel. And what did they feel? They felt fear for the first time. In fact, look at the pre predicament of God. God comes there and God calls Adam and says, Where are you? Why would he ask a question, where are you, if he does not intend fellowship still? Who is breaking our fellowship out here? Is God, who is supposed rightfully supposed to be angry with man, or is man trying to break off from God? Man, because of who he thinks he is, or has become, correct? So it is fear is now caused a change in chemistry. What is changing? Did God change? Did man change? Yes, but did man change in God's eyes? Yeah. No. But man changed in whose eyes? His eyes. Fear is a corruption of the first response. Your first response is fellowship. And God did not rob it even from a fallen man. And that may be a revelation for you and I. You always thought that man sinned and he's out of fellowship with God. No. Man sinned, he still was in fellowship with God. You know why? You know why? Because the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. God knew what man was up to and what is in a man. He had already prepared a covering. So when man was naked, God had already covered him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? So you remember, God created a lot of things with his words. But two things he created with his own hands. One is man and the second 
is king. He clothed man with skin. He shed blood. The first sacrifice, the first killing ever on this planet was a mercy's killing. The killing was of Jesus Christ. You think the lambs that was slain in the Garden of Eden and he was clothed with was a, of an animal? It was of the Son of God who represented it. And therefore he could be covered. Because figs and leaves and your righteousness cannot cover your nakedness, brothers and sisters. It has to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So two things he created with his own hands. One he created man and with the same hands he killed his son as a sacrifice. Just like Abraham was ready to do it. But God would not take it from Abraham because he had already prepared himself as the father who was ready to kill his son so that he can cover you and I. So that you can come before us boldly and say that I am still God. So the choice to walk out of fellowship on a daily basis is not God's brothers and sisters. It is you and I. 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 So faith, fear is a corruption of your first response. Fear. Fear. Second, if you are writing notes, fear is a deception. Nothing had changed with man. The relationship was good. But in their eyes, fear had caused them to doubt God. Correct? They had doubted God. They still heard the voice of God. They still heard the presence of God. They were still naked and complete. But they were afraid. Why? Because they were deceived. Remember the first thing that Adam, the serpent told Adam, was, you was, if you eat the fruit, you will become like God. What was the first counsel that God had before he made man? In the counsel, the God is talking among each other. God the Father is talking to God the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they're talking among each other and say, what? Let us make, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. That means, and, and they're talking. How interesting that what the report that God has about man is the same report that the enemy will make you doubt about in deception. The same report. It's as if that he heard the presence of God speaking that let us make man in our own image. He comes down to man and deceives him and says, you know what? You are not like God. You can become like God. Isn't, isn't that, isn't that, you know, he's not even original in his arguments. He will, he will deceive what is originally your report. So if the enemy is loud and is telling something about to you to make you afraid, remember, it could very well be the opposite that is true in the presence of God about you. Let me give you examples. I'll talk about a lot of examples, but here it is. And let, and let, let, let me give you this uh, statement and if you want to write it down. Fear at its very core is the belief that God does not have the best for you and that you have missed his best because of who you think God is or who you are. I know it's a lot of mouthful. Fear at its very core. What is fear ultimately? Fear at its very core is telling, you are telling yourself that God does not have the best for you. 
or somehow you have missed God's best because of who you are or because of who you think God is. There's always a problem. The problem is either you think that you're not worthy, you're evil, you're guilty or you've done something bad or you think that God is not that is something that God does not want me to have or that is something that God does not want doesn't love me that much he will love that servant of God who's walking on mountains and falling rolling on the sea on 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 the road but he does not love me as much because I am not so righteous because you misunderstood who God is and you misunderstood who you are in Jesus Christ there's only two reasons fear originates fear in its essential root is a misunderstanding of who God is and it's a misunderstanding of who you are as a believer. At the very core, it always comes to it. Fear is a deception. Fear is a deception. Number three, fear is a voice that seeks to war and change the confession of your mouth. Essentially, fear wants to change the confession of your mouth. Let me... Let, I hope you can understand this because this is going to be deep and it is going to change your life. Essentially, when the enemy comes to you with fear, he's ideally, he's essentially wanting finally to f do only one purpose. He's not wanting you to just tremble with fear. That's not his plan. His plan is finally he wants to change your confession of your mouth. He wants you to say what he believes you are. He wants you to change. The whole book of Job, the whole book of Job is a war for the tongue of Job. The whole book of Job is a war for the tongue of Job. Let's go back, let's go to Job. Let's go to Job. Job chapter 2 and here is again God having a counsel with Satan and say have you considered my servant Job there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright one a one who fears God or reverences God and shuns evil and though he holds fast to his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause so he says here is a man who holds fast to his integrity right Okay, and then Satan goes and you know the story. And verse 9, Then his wife said to him, What did the wife say? Verse 9? Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Wow, interesting. Same words. Where do you think the same words came from? Remember that? Satan will use the same words that God has about you and wants to change it for you. He will use the same report. And he will say, why do you hold to your integrity? It's almost as if Satan heard what God spoke about Job. 
and brought it and brought it through his wife and said, and then what did he say? Curse God and die. Change your confession. Change your confession. Change your confession. Fear is essentially a voice that wants to change the confession of your mouth. In fact, the same things that Job was destroyed by, he said, the things that I feared have come upon me. Because he did not change his confession, he got it all back. He did not. The Bible says, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Not sin with his acts. Not sin with his sacrifices. Not sin with everything. He did not sin with his lips. There was a battle in every chapter of Job. And you can go back and read. It starts with, I open my mouth. I close my mouth. The words that you say. The words that I speak. And at one point Job says, if I keep silent, I will be destroyed. Because he says, I cannot but speak of the goodness of God. I cannot but speak. And he would not agree that say that I am... I, I do not have a standing before God. In fact, at one point he prophesies, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will stand in my flesh and see him face to face. Wow, you're talking about faith in the time when nothing in his life looked going right. But he says, I don't care if my skin is broken, my children are dead, my house is broken. I will not change my confession of my mouth because I know Satan is after this. He is not after my kids. He is not after your house. He is not after your ministry. He is not after anything. He is after the word of God in your mouth because if the word of God in your mouth, brothers and sisters, is nuclear, it can create worlds back again. It will change the course of your life. It will do everything that enemy hates. And he will do anything in his power to change the confession of your mouth. He will do anything. So watch what your mouth speaks when you are fearful. So if you see sickness coming, be careful what you confess. Be careful. Cover yourself by the blood of Jesus and receive his healing. And start walking in his word. Because your word, I'm telling you, I've seen it in happen. I'm doing a time to go with examples in my life. The evil report that has come initially, we said, no Lord, we refuse to believe this evil report. We are not going to change our confession. We believe we are healed. And he said, no, that's stupidity. Why can't you just curse God and die? Why can't you just say that you're sick? Why don't, no, I refuse. I'm saying I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm healed. I refuse to What happens? The walls around starts matching up with your words in your mouth. It will happen. You try it. You try it. It will happen. It's a spiritual force. Fear is essentially only given as one of its primary objectives is to change the confession of your mouth. How many of you all know? What's that? We are not fearing fear. We are talking about the fear wants to change the confession of your mouth. And God want, doesn't want you to have fear because it changes your relationship with Him. It changes what you think about Him. Yes, so technically you should not fear anything. That's a, that's a funny statement, but you're not supposed to fear anything. And we'll talk about that one, one of the verses later. Okay, here we go. God is enthroned on the praises of His people. And Satan is enthroned on the fears of his people. Where there is fear, 
and dread. Essentially, there is darkness. There's darkness. There's darkness. In fact, we'll, we don't have time to take a passage. You remember the passage where the region of Gadarens, where Jesus went across the sea? On the way to the region of Gadarens, there was a big storm where Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm wanted to get kill all of them. And Jesus woke up and said first words out of his mouth. No, first words. Do not fear. He said, why, oh you are little faith, why do you fear? Because I told we are going to the other side, we are going to the other side. Just like angel told uh, Paul, you are going to Rome. I don't care if the boat is sunk or not, but you are going there. So Jesus is telling the disciples, I don't care how we get there, we are going to get there. Just tell the waves that Jesus said, the one who is sleeping right now, right? Jesus, the sleeping one said, we are going to the other side. The sleeping Jesus is more powerful than a living Jesus for you if you do not use his words in your mouth. The words of a sleeping Jesus was enough to calm the storm. He said, why do you, we are going to the other side. We are going to the other side. But what happens? Watch what happens. He gets to the other side. He goes to this region of Gedderans. Who, do who does he meet there? A man full of demons. In fact, when God, Jesus asks him about his name, what did he say? Legion. Legion, because Legion is how many in Roman? It's 6,000 or something like that. Six, I don't know the exact word, but it's almost 6,000 demons in one person. I mean, that's a lot of capacity for demons. That shows the capacity of demons to occupy areas of fear, both geographically and also spiritually. There are regions that are fear. So what happened? So he goes there, he heals the man, the guy, guy is healed. What is the response of the inhabitants of that place? They were afraid. They were afraid. Here was a miracle that happened. But what? The spirit of fear was in that land. They were afraid and they told Jesus to leave. So the fear limited the ministry of Jesus. Completely limited the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had to leave that place and come out. And only one man was saved in that whole town. That was this man on whom the demon came. Why? Because of fear. Okay. Fear. We, we studied that fear is a voice that will set, which, is seek, which, which seeks to war and chase the confession of your mouth. And s Satan loves areas of fear. Okay. Write, write this down. Fear is not a, a set of emotions, but it is an act of will. I know this is hard for you to take. This is hard for you to take, but you need to, you need to receive it. And you can go back and study the word. Fear is not a set of emotions, but it's an act of your will. To not fear is an act of a will. If it was not so, God would not have made a demand of it. When God says to you, do not fear, he's not asking you to do something that he knows that you cannot do. If, if it was an automatic emotion that rises up and you were just created in, and you just feel it, and you, and you say, Lord Jesus, how can you tell me not to fear? Because fear is something that I feel. But 
But fear is not what you feel. It is what you do with what you feel. It's an act of your will. So even when you have emotions that look like you are afraid, God says do not confess it and do not act on it. Because it's an act of will. You say, Lord, I do not fear this. Psalms 91. How many of you know Psalms 91? He says, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night. You shall not be afraid of the arrow by day. You shall not be afraid of the pestilence that walks in darkness. You shall not be afraid of the destruction that lays waste by noonday. You shall, you shall, you shall not be afraid. Psalms 91 has only one part from your side and all the rest is from God's side. Only one part is your side. Your side is confession saying I will not be afraid of what I see. Therefore he says thousand may fall on left side. Ten thousand on your right side. But it shall not come near you. Why? Because you are surrounded by things that cause fear. But it doesn't touch you. Because fear is not what you see and what you feel. It is what you do. So a tornado can come on the left and on the right but it's not going to touch you. Because there is no power. Because you, you, have, you just don't have, it doesn't have any power because you say I refuse to fear. Refuse to fear. Fear is an act of will. Jonah in the belly of the fish, there was no greater place for a man to be afraid. He was dead. He was going to die. Yet he said, I will lift up my eyes and look to God in his holy temple. I refuse to fear. I refuse to say I will die. Why? Because if he had decided to say, Lord, I dread this great thing and I don't know what to do about it, he would have been killed. He would have been killed. Jesus lived by the same principles that you and I lived. When Jesus asked Peter to walk on the water, in fact, Peter asked Jesus, correct? He said, if you are God, let me come and walk on the water. Okay. So Jesus said, come. Who needed greater faith to walk on water? Jesus or Peter? Jesus. Actually, both. Jesus walked on water as a man. Not as God. Peter walked on water as a man. Both needed the words of their mouth to walk on. You think who they, Jesus walked on water? Jesus did not walk on water. Jesus walked on the words of his mouth. Which said, let me go to the other side. Let me go and see him. And what did Peter walk on? Peter walked on the same words of Jesus, said what? Come! I don't care whether there is H2O below it, or air below it, or platinum below it, or gold below it. It does not matter because I'm going to walk on the word of God. You know what was happening when Jesus was keeping his feet and Peter was keeping his feet? The words that had already gone out was metamorphosing the water molecules and they were creating a stiffness and at every point, at just at the correct time, it became firm. And then he put the next step on, the word started walking all on its, on its power and saying, now, walk on it. And unknown to them, the words were being created by the words of their mouth. And so will yours. 
somebody else. And in fact, when Peter saw the boisterous wind, he started sinking. Let me ask you a question. What has wind got to do with walking on water? What if the wind was calm and peaceful and still? Can Peter walk on water? What has, what has uh, wind got to do with water? Walking on water. Why? So what's going on here? Fear. What fear? Remember we studied something about fear. Fear is a deception. Fear will tell you that if the winds are quiet, I can walk. But you, you forget that you are walking not because the winds. You are walking because Jesus said, come. So fear will always deceive you. It will always make you think that if I can solve this problem in my life, everything will be okay. But if you can understand that he's, fear is a deceiver, you can know where the root cause is. The root is walking on the word of God. You can walk on water. You can walk. Can you walk on water? You can. If God tells you to walk on water, you can. Not if you want to walk on water. If he tells you you can walk on water, you can walk on water. Jesus walked. I like that answer of yours. Jesus needed as much faith as Peter. Because he worked by the same principle that he calls his utility. So my point being is, fear is an act of will not a set of emotions. Write it down. Remember it. Even when you feel fearful, you refuse to change your confession. You refuse to change. You say, no Lord, I will believe what you said about my life. I don't care about my family, about my future, about my job. I'm refusing to believe the reports. This I'm refusing. I don't care. I don't know how the water is going to become firm under my feet. I just know you said walk. I don't care. I don't know. So companies have to merge. Bosses have to change. Wives will not change. <laughs> but wives will change spiritually. But they will not physically change. But God will do what needs to be done for your relationships and your situations to change. But he will happen. But you don't change your confession. Because he has only that to work with. Let me make a statement. And, and uh, Fear moves the hand of the enemy the same way faith moves the hand of God. It's the same operation. Fear moves the hand of the enemy the same way faith moves the hand of God. Sorry, it's the same operation. It's a, it's a spiritual. It's spiritual. It's same faith. It's same faith. You, faith. you have faith. When you fear, you have faith in the report of the enemy. That's it. Therefore, remember that. Second, we, we talked about how fear is a deception, right? You know why does the lion roar? Is it a, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he devoured. Why does the lion roar? Create fear in you. The lion does not roar to kill. When has, have you ever heard of a man, I was killed by this roar of a lion. <laughs> However great that roar is, it has never killed a single soul into this world. Correct? What kills a man? Fear. The fear of a roar of man. Satan is loud and boisterous. Not because he can kill because he wants to fear, create fear in your spirit. That's what he does. So he, sometimes, many times, when you hear a loud report in your life, which is loud and negative, 
There's a reason why it is loved, brothers and sisters. There's a reason why it is loved. He wants to create fear. He wants you to fear. Write this down. Fear is important to God and he takes it seriously. He, when, you, when you fear anything else apart from God, now we are talking about the awe of God. Even the closest feeling of fear to anything else, he, he takes it seriously. He has no, he does not want competition with him. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 to 26. Exodus 20. Twenty eighteen to twenty six. And all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And the people stood it, stood saw it, and they trembled and stood far off. And they said to Moses, "You speak with us, and we will hear. We do not want God to speak with us, lest we die." They were frightened. And if anybody has ever seen a video of, we have, we have shown it in one of our live teams called the, the Mountain of God, the search for the real Mount Sinai. It's powerful and I'll give it to you. It is powerful. The real Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, which is the land of Indian that the Bible talks about. That mountain, I don't want to spoil the fun of seeing that video. That mountain at the top is completely burnt and black. Everything lines up what, what the scripture says about that mountain. That mountain, brothers and sisters, was smoking and burning with flames in the presence of God. It was that powerful. That's the only time when God shows up to humanity, only once. And, and the response of man was, just like he says, the response to great glory is fear. And God doesn't want that relationship. And he said, well, what happened? Look exactly what God did not want. He said, I don't want to speak to God. He's too afraid. Moses, you go and speak to him and tell us what, what he wants to say. We don't want to face this God. I thought God loves that kind of relationship, right? See what it has done to a man. He says, I cannot stand this presence. Then Moses said, now look at Moses' problem out here. <laughs> look at verse 10, 20. And Moses said to the people, what? Do not fear. But be afraid. <laughs> so Moses has this problem. He says, do not fear, for God has come to test you, so that his fear will be before you. Oh, hold it, hold it, hold it. So either you decide what you want me to do. Should, you, should I fear him or should I not fear him? You see the problem that God, Moses has? Moses is saying, yes, yes, yes. I don't want you to, which brings the whole problem. I don't want you to dread him. I want you to have an awe of him. But at the same time, let the awe not become so big. That you are afraid to have a relationship with this great God. Correct? And verse 21. So the people stood far off. Moses draw near the thick darkness where God was. And Lord said to Moses. Says thus you shall say to the children of Israel. You have seen that I have talked to you from heaven. You shall not make anything with me. That means no competition. I can stand nothing. In my presence, no competition, no gods of silver or gold you shall not make for yourself. I don't want nothing with me. God takes fear seriously. When you fear anything else in your life, you are raising it up in competition to God. Because that place only rightfully belongs to God. 
So when you value praises of man or you're afraid of man, remember immediately you are giving a position to that man that does not belong to him. It only belongs to God. God is your source. If you're afraid of anything in your world, you're afraid of anything. If you're afraid of a job, you're worried about sickness, anything. You're suddenly exalting it to the level that only God wants it. He will not trade that place for anybody else. That place of fear belongs only to God. That place belongs. So you, he doesn't want. He, is, he, he tolerates no competition. He tolerates no competition. Write it down. We just have two more to go. Fear is a lifestyle of living in bondage even under a covenant. Fear is a lifestyle of living in a bondage even under a covenant. And this is what happened in the son. You remember the young man, uh, the younger man and the eldest son of the father who had two sons and we talk about the low, lost son, right? What, how, what do we call the parable? The prodigal son. You know what? It is not the prodigal younger son. It is the prodigal older son. Because he was angry and stayed out when his brother came. Because he said, he said, I have toiled all these years, yet you did not give me one goat. And if all you are asking is for a goat. <laughs> Come on, if you are going to ask, ask something big, you know. He said, eldest son concept is living in bondage, even under a covenant. And what was the father's response? Father was like, what? Didn't you know that everything that I had belonged to you? You see that mindset? A mindset of living in bondage even under a sonship covenant that you as believer had to walk on. Not living again in bondage again to fear the father. So he is that father, son that we just talked about. If I don't go to the field today, if I do not please him enough, if I do not, so why do you think he did not ask for an inheritance and went away with the harlots as he thinks he remember that he said he spent his livelihood with harlots. Who has got harlots on his mind? The Bible doesn't say that the younger man spent life with his harlots and he, the elder son was not in a place where he saw wells. Who is having harlots on his mind? So why is he staying here while the younger guy has gone out? Because the younger guy did not care. He had no fear. He had no fear going out. He had no fear coming in. Because he had no fear coming in, he could still come in. He said, I, I will tell my father. Look, what does he say? I still have access to my father. I'm going to come to my father and say, Treat me like a servant. That means my fear, I do not have fear that I am even afraid to come into his presence. But the eldest son is saying, I have toiled all these years, but you have not given me anything. So living under bondage, even under a covenant, fear is a lifestyle. You can spend your life and you will breathe and die. Go to Walmart and come home. <laughs> year, year, day after day, day after day, living in bondage and not experiencing the fullness that what the Father has in the storehouse for you. And you will go to God in heaven and say, Lord, now I'm ready to do all the works of God. God said, too late. Now enjoy into the rest. <laughs> God said, all that you had to do for the work on your life and the earth, I had already provided, but you didn't want to do it. Because you thought, you want to do when I'm reached here. But 
it, it was always there. So you can live this lifestyle of walking in faith. Finally, fear is a destroyer of God's promises. God's promises. We studied about Peter that he stopped walking on water the moment he started fearing. The operation of fear limits the work of God. Write it down. The operation of fear limits the word of God. I told you about the storm that came on the sea. The same incident. Jesus was in the storm and remember that how fear came and the disciples were about to sink. They were about to die. If it was not for Jesus standing up and rebuking the wind, they would have died because Jesus had faith in his word. He believed. He operated by the same principles that he called his disciples to do. Then after that he go to gatherings and he told you about the story about the fear that was upon that land. Did Jesus could do no great ministry in that land because of fear, correct? Then he comes back. But God, God is above fear, right? Yeah, but the word of God is above fear because in the but you have to speak it in your life. God is a savior, but not all men are saved. You have to confess. Okay, that's a great example. It's not because of your act you are saved. It's because of who God is, right? No, you are saved by the Bible says by believing who He is and confessing in your mouth. Yeah, but that's then you are giving importance to your action, right? Yes, that action, that act. No, that action is critical because the Bible says. That no man can be saved except by saying that believing and confessing the uh, in the Son of God, but and that is one confession. Yes, and, and what that that part we can we can talk about it, and uh, that we don't want to divert that now. No, no, because uh, the way you are going, like it's like uh, fear is everything. Like no, fear is above no, also. it is not. Fear is not everything. What I'm saying is the destruction so part. Fear, fear so much. It's, 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 no, you should not fear. You, the, the point being is, we are not talking about that fear is above everything, but I'm saying the corrupting influence of fear in your life stops the power of God in your life. You get the point? And we will talk about the other part of salvation, and we can talk it on a different, and we can talk it privately. But the point by the thing is, how do we overcome? How do we overcome? And look at, look at uh, let's go to First John chapter 4, verse 18. Let's go there. Let's go there. How do we overcome? First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verse 18. Somebody can read that? fear and love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Look at what does it say. And I'm not saying this. This is what the Bible says. What does it say? There is no fear in love. Perfect fear casts out perfect love casts out fear because fear involves what? Torment. Because he who fears has not been perfect in love. What love is he talking about? You and I need to recognize how much God loves you. Once you come to a place to recognize how much God loves you, you will not have fear towards God. He says, once you come to a place, if there is, it's like Israelites going through the house, looking at, searching out for leaven. Fear in your life is like leaven. It corrupts things. And you have to find, if there is fear in your life, remember it is because of, you have not understood the love of God 
for you in your life. There is some healing that needs to happen in your life, in your relationship with God. You are not comfortable like the older son. He was not he, there was, he was not healed in his relationship with his father. You got that problem out there? So that spoiled his relationship, correct? I mean, can you imagine yours? you want your son to live like that? No, you don't want that son to live like that. You want your son to enjoy his life in your house. He can walk and when I come into somebody's house, I'll be very careful how I behave. But when I walk into my own house, I just put my coat down and jump. Why? 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 Well, every action in your life is contingent about where you're comfortable and where you're not. Where you're loud and where you're not. Correct? When you're comfortable in your house, you will jump. Your son can come into your bedroom. But in my office, somebody can just not come walk into my office just without you know, saying, excuse me. But can you imagine my same son passes by and my, my wife brings him to the office and my son sees me sitting in my office and he runs and jumps and takes my pen and I was like, ho, 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 ho. I don't say that. Why? Why? Why do I not say that? Why? 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 Relationship. Because in between my son and me, I have a relationship that casts out every fear. And, the, and God wants to have that relationship with you. Perfect love. If there is fear in your life, in my life, it's because... Because, remember that? The essential, essentially it comes to not knowing who God is or not knowing who you are. Either we have not, we have not recognized the fact that you are a son of God. Relax, I'm telling you. Learn to just enjoy the presence of God and tell Jesus, Jesus, I know you love me. And you know, and you'll say, no, 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 then that will make me slack. I will not do the things. You know what? It's exactly the opposite that happens. When you love somebody, you do not want to disappoint them. Right? In fact, when, you, when somebody does not love you is when you have to have a rule book. When, you, when there is love involved, there is no rules. Because you know, that's why Jesus says, a day will come, I will have, write the law in their hearts and no man would have to tell, to tell, teach them, teach me. Because it will be written in their hearts. He's talking about which day? He's talking about you and me now. How many commandments do you all know? But yet you all keep all of them. And even if you don't keep, you know which ones you are not supposed to keep. But there is no law for everything that you do. But because of a relationship that you have with God, you just do it, correct? You just know it. Why? Because it's written in your heart. But this enemy wants to reduce that relationship to a relationship of fear. And I'm saying is, if you can get out of that, you can have confidence. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 says, cast not that confidence because it has recompense of great reward. Because if you have the confidence to walk into the presence of Jesus Christ and God and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, I'm coming into your presence. I am saved and I'm covered and all good things that you have for me is mine. Done. I can ask whatever you want and all things are possible. And I'll close finally with this. And we are almost done. But I will leave it with this and I won't go into this. There are five key keys to overcoming fear. And write it down if you have. First, get perspective of God of yourself and of the enemy. I will take only one point. Have a perspective of who your enemy is. Have a perspective. 
of the enemy. What is the perspective of the enemy that you need to have? I'll tell you the perspective. The only body part that Satan is privileged to know about you is your mouth. No. 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 The bottom of your feet. The only body part that Satan is authorized to have privilege of of yours is the bottom of your feet because he says that he, he shall bruise your head and God of peace shall crush Satan underneath your feet. Psalms 91 says you will tread the serpent and the lion, the uh, young lion and the cobra and the adder. You will trample under foot. The only privilege that he has to ever get to rise up to a level to meeting you is underneath your feet and underneath your heel. Why? Because that's, it is, that is what that you use to crush him. You need to walk and no fear, no fear with enemy. No fear. No fear. You do not fear him because he has been cursed. Who was cursed in the Garden of Eden? Serpent? The ground? No. Adam? No. Go back and check. Serpent was cursed. The ground was cursed. But Adam and Eve were not cursed. Why Adam and Eve was not cursed? Because God had already cursed Jesus in his place. He became a curse for you. Correct? So that you may not be cursed. But Satan was cursed. So he lives a cursed life all the days of his life. So in fact, in Ezekiel or Isaiah, one of the passages says, when finally when you will see Satan, you will say, so is this the one who threatened the nations? You will think, well, this creature is the one that threatened the nations? You and I need to have a perspective of that enemy. Get perspective, brothers and sisters. First key, get perspective of God, of yourself, of the enemy. David, go back and see what the David that David had perspective of Goliath. He says, who are you, O uncircumcised Philistine, that you should threaten the armies of the living God? He's talked about perspective of God, perspective of the enemy, perspective of who he was. All in one sentence. He had perspective. He didn't care whether he was short, small, big, tall. I had sword, not sword. Why? He had perspective. I don't care who I am. I've got perspective. I know that you are uncircumcised. Because therefore you are in, not in covenant with God. I know that we are the armies of God. Therefore, we have a relationship with God. And I know that we have a living God. Therefore, God who acts on your behalf. Perspective. I God, me and the devil. What happened? One stone. One stone. It was not the stone that killed Goliath. His what? His perspective and his faith. Second, get faith. Believe. Believe. There is going to be a season in time that you believe. And the Bible says, for a season of time, the seed, you believe. After a certain time, you don't believe. Why? Because you give up. You look at, you hear, like Peter did walk on water initially. Didn't he not? Correct? Correct. How did he walk on water before? His faith. His faith in the word of God. Then he stopped walking on water. Why? Yeah. Fear. The Bible says, and as a seed is sown, and some falls on Bad ground. For a time it will sprout up because of faith. But later on it dies. It happens in your life. As a believer, you have faith in one situation, but you don't have faith in others. 
But so this area in your life will be very fruitful, but in the other area, you are weak. And you say, no Lord, and you start making doctrines out of it. No, but this is how believers are, or this is how God does not want this for me. No, no, no. It's because you have limited God in that particular area because of your faith. Second, get faith. Third, get confession. Don't change your confession. Third, get environment. Surround yourself with friends who speak the right things. Don't surround yourself with people who are constantly talking the negative fear. Don't. If you are in a situation that surrounds you with fear, get out of it. Because eventually that will come into your spirit. And out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. For a season, because you are a believer, you will speak the right vocabulary. But in due time, out of your heart, what is in your heart will come out. And who is waiting for that? Satan. Because he is saying, let his words be. Because he uses power. He uses the same words. He lives by the same principles. Remember, the Satan is not original. He lives by the same principle. See, he tweaks it for his benefit. So he makes you have faith in all the evil report that you confess with your mouth. And he causes that things to happen. Get environment. And finally, get going. Act on your faith. You have to act on your faith. That means you need to do certain actions which correspond with what you believe. So if God says, spit on sand, spit on sand. It's not that spitting on sand is going to get the blind man sick, but it's an act of faith. Or anything that God tells you, okay, talk to that brother. Talk to the brother. You don't know what it is, but it's an act of faith. It is not going to create the main work, but it is an act of faith. So get it. So write it down. Get perspective, get faith, get confession, get environment, get going. It's easy to remember. See, believe, talk, surround yourself and act. See, believe, talk, surround, act. Remember that. It works in every area of your life. Or every area of your life. Start by getting perspective. How do you get perspective? Read the word of God. Meditate on his presence. Just get... I mean, if you if you have fear in one area of your life or you have you don't have... You can't believe for something, meditate on the word of God. Meditate on it until it builds up an image in you and it will rise up. It will rise up. It will rise up. Surely it will rise up. And finally, for the, one of the first things that was thrown into the lake of fire, you know what? I want to close with that. This is so funny. The first, one of the first things that was thrown in the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 21 was a... Why didn't you, somebody read that? Revelation chapter 21. One of the first things that was thrown into the lake of fire. If God wants to throw one thing out of this whole creation into the lake of fire is what? That's where you got it wrong. <laughs> Sometimes the obvious question is not the obvious answer, right? What's the verse again? 21.8 That is true. The fearful. The first thing that he throws out is not the unbelieving. What? The fearful. The first thing of... Think about it. The first thing that God wants to get rid of in the new creation is fearfulness. That is why he destroys two things from the Garden of Eden. Two things were cursed in the Garden of Eden. What was that? Satan and the ground. And both were destroyed. He destroys Satan and he destroys the old earth. But he keeps Adam and you. He keeps you and me. 
because he's washed us and covered us and blessed us and wants to have a relationship. Amen? Amen. God is good. God is good. Are you all ready to walk in faith? Are you all ready to apply? And now you are, now you be clear how Satan deceives you. And I'll, I'll close finally for people who are not taking notes to just remember what is fear? Just, just the highlights of the point. What are the f- things we studied about fear? Fear is a destroyer of God's greater promises. Remember that. Number two. What is number two? Fear is the corruption of your first response. Your first response is to have walk in freedom with your father. And he corrupts that. Fear is deception. Anytime fear comes into your life, it's because of some lie that is happening. Not the truth. It's a deception. What's one? Fear is a voice that seeks to change your mind. I'm telling you, if anything else, you cannot stand in a situation when it is fearful or anything that is changing or an evil report that you hear. One thing, if you cannot do anything, one thing, remember, if you can take from this message, do not change your confession. Then, fear is an act, not a set of emotions, but it's an act of will. You may feel fearful, but you do not have to act on it. Fear is important for God because it replaces Him as the preeminent person in your life. Fear, fear is a lifestyle of living in bondage even under a covenant. And finally, it concludes with that fear is a destroyer of God's creator promises. And we studied the five keys to overcoming fear. Five keys to overcoming fear. Let's just pray. I know we got, I got a little late, but I just had to do it because I didn't want to leave you half done. Never look at fear in a different way. It's not godly. Is not something enemy hates and just pray. If you have some area in your life that is not productive, or if there is an area that is tormenting, is there a relationship that is not fruitful? If there is a sickness that is lay hold of you, that is evil, if there is a situation that you are worried about, any anxiety is born out of fear. Everything that the enemy tells you lies about. It originates in a lie. It's in a lie. It's in a lie of who God is and who you are. Father, I pray for this people, O Master. We pray for these brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Father, I pray that these were heavy words, O Lord. But I pray that it will bear much fruit in the days to come, O Lord. Lord, bless them, O Jesus, because they are your children, O Master. Lord, when the enemy comes like a flood, let these children, O Lord, still raise up a banner. The Spirit of God raise up a banner against against him, O Master. And tell him that he cannot deceive him anymore. In the name of Jesus. Father, I break every bondage of fear over every brother and sister in the name of Jesus. If you would only recognize the power that afflicts and keeps you limited, says the Lord, you will hate it as much as I hate it, says the Lord. For I have not desired a relationship based on fear, but I have desired a relationship that based on love. For I did not sacrifice my son on the altar for the sake of a relationship that is built on transactions and built of dread. But I want you to love me. I want you to call me Abba Father. For I have loved you and therefore you love me. I have loved you first, says the Lord. Remember the, from the places that you were called. You did not consider yourself worthy to come into my presence. But yet I searched for you out and hunted you out and I called you on my name. Why do you have a relationship with me? Now behaves as if I am your boss. 
Walk with me as your father, says the Lord. I want to confide with you. I am calling you by name. I, why do you run from my fellowship, says the Lord? Why do you run when I call, says the Lord? Do, I, do you think that I make a greater demand of you than what I have made upon my son? Yet he was obedient in everything and was subject. And yet he loved me above everything. And the same love that I had for him, says the Lord, I will put it in you towards me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. No limits, says the Lord. No limits. When your faith is untainted by fear, there is no limits to you in this world. For just as I am, you shall be in the world, says the Lord. Fearless. 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 Father, I pray for great breakthrough in the lives of these brothers and sisters, O oh Master. Great breakthrough, Jesus. Great breakthrough. Father, let these coming days be known as days of breakthrough, O oh Lord. For we refuse to change our confession. Father, forgive us for false confession out of our mouth, O oh Lord. Forgive us for our righteous acts that seem so righteous in our eyes. Father, we come before you and lay before you, O oh Master, and say, Lord, fill us with your love, O oh Master. Yes. Fill us with your love. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm, I'm seeing breakthrough in a work situation that is happening quickly. Quickly, 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 quickly. There has been a relationship that has been strained. It's been like an old garment that is worn tight. You're trying to work on it, but the more you wash it, the more it is becoming destructive. The Bible says, bring forth your mourning and I will turn it into gladness. And your rags into new clothes. Somebody has a foot disease that I see. And you struggle with that for a long time. The Lord says that I'm going to heal you right now. Not because of what you did, but because of who you are. You're my son. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray, speak against every spirit of nightmares in the life of our children in the name of Jesus. Father, we rebuke the spirit of fear, of nightmares over this uh, family in the name of Jesus. When you're afraid, tell the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And the enemy will flee, says the Lord. Lord, call those things in your life that are weathering and tell it, call it, let it become lala, call it green, call it green, like I said, call the wells that are dead, call it by the names by which his father had given, call those wells in your life that are dead and call it by the same names that I call, says the Lord, and you will see it fruitful. There's somebody who has a tough relationship with your husband. And the Lord says, clean up your mouth, says the Lord, sister. Clean up your mouth. Don't keep confessing about your husband the way you always confess. Change. For you learn today. Do not confess what the enemy speaks about him. Confess what I think about him. He is my son. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Master. Thank you for your power, Lord, Master. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your blessing. Bless us, Master. Bless us. Bless us.